Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Today I want to talk to you about discovering and living your God-given dream. We're going to talk about finding that dream from the things that will keep us from fulfilling that dream, from grabbing hold of it. And I want to start today in the Gospel of Mark. There are four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. The second one in the New Testament is written by John Mark. And uh, he says in the fifth chapter, first verse, Then they, that's Jesus and his disciples, came to the other side of the sea. Now that sea is the Sea of Galilee. It's also in your Bible sometimes referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. Now it's fresh water and it is really just a very large deep lake. But it's referred to as a sea. To the country of the Gadarenes. Now, we're going to read quite a bit today, but I'm going to kind of break it up and talk to you, read and talk, read and talk. Now, it says that the country of the Gadarenes. Now, to get a little history, the Gadarenes are the descendants of the tribe of Gad. So when the children of Israel leave Egypt, there's 12 tribes. Jacob, who's really the father of the nation of Israel, he had 12 sons. And Gad is one of those sons. So as they come to the edge of the promised land, there's, there's nations there that fight them and they, they conquer them. And the tribe of Gad, tribe of Rumid, half of the tribe of Manasseh, they look around and they go, wow, this isn't the promised land, but this is nice. Lots of grass. We got lots of sheep and goats and cows. You know what? Why don't we just stay right here? And so they proposed that to Moses and Moses said to him, all right, we're going to let you do this. He said, but here's the deal. Most of your men need to cross over with us and fight to conquer the promised land. And really what they're doing is they're settling for less than what God had promised them. This is kind of like the compromising Christian who's willing to settle for less than God's best and just say, you know, this is good enough. My relationship with God is good enough. Where I'm at spiritually, it's good enough. They, they look around, these Gadites, and they can see this isn't a bad place. This is a pretty good place. And why should we go after more? Well, God says that place flows with milk and honey. And by the way, milk and honey represents abundance and victory, right? Abundance and victory. But you know what? This place right here, it is good enough. And I don't need the best. I don't need God's purpose, God's plan, God's destiny. This is enough. So they decide they're going to stay. They get permission to stay. And here's what happens. The day comes when all the rest of the children of Israel, they cross over into the promised land. And when they cross over, they come, first of all, to the Jordan River, which is flowing high at the time. The banks have overflowed. And the Ark of the Covenant, the priests with the Ark, step in first. And when they step in, the Bible says that the water backed up. And by the way, it backed up for miles all the way to a place called Adam. Interesting. We could preach on that. All right. Now, when God comes into your life, things change all the way back to Adam. All right. But so the presence of God in that ark, God said, he said, this is my throne. Literally, the ark was God's throne. He said, above that mercy seat, the top of that mercy seat and under the angel's wings that are above it, he said, that's where I'll meet with you. That's where my tangible presence is going to be. It was the throne zone. It was God's tangible presence. And God's presence left 
where Gad was and went over into the promised land. Right. So these people, these Gadarenes, in my mind, they represent people that are saved, but they have camped out in a place called compromise and they stay there for years. They let God's presence move on. Right. They're willing to settle for less. They're trusting their own wisdom, their own understanding and saying this is enough. And they don't even realize how far they get from God. Right. These are like the people who don't do the things that it takes to bring intimacy with God. They seldom read their Bible. They're sporadic in their church attendance. You know, they pray very little. You know, they fast none. They are avoiding intimacy with God. And it is an intimacy right, where your character changes, where your appetites change, where God works on you. Right. You never go into the deep things of God without times of intimacy without times of relationship with God. So Jesus includes this tribe in his itinerary and he crosses the Sea of Galilee and he comes to this area of the Gadarenes. Now remember what has happened to them is they've really gotten far from God and they have actually forgotten how to live. Now, most of you know a little bit about Jewish people, right? But, but the one thing that you probably know is they don't like pigs. How many know that? They're, they're like, really, they don't like pigs. All right. Now, these gatherings, they, they have so much forgotten how to live that they, their main industry has become pigs. They're raising, they're raising pigs. Now, in the law, Moses says, you don't, not only do you not eat them, he said, don't even touch them. But they've just forgotten how to live because they're far from God. It says, and when he, Jesus, had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. The chains had been pulled apart by him, the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out, cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, he worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you, by God, that you do not torment me. And he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he answered him, what's your name? And he answered him, saying, my name is Legion, for we're many. So this man is demon-possessed. And this is, a, this is really an extreme case. But it, it, I think he represents what has happened to this whole tribe of people, these Gadites. You know, whenever a person, a family, a group, a nation, when, when they pull away from God, demonic activity becomes more and more common. Notice this man, he lives in the tombs. You know, when there's demonic activity, people become obsessed with death. They become obsessed with demonic supernatural things. You know, we've got celebrity ghost stories, the walking dead and vampires and zombies, right? We let compromise and perverseness and ungodliness and living wrong come into our lives. And we think it's not going to have an effect, but it does. As these people have gotten farther away from God, Notice what happens. This man that represents him. The, the Bible says that, that day and night he has no rest. Right? Always, always turmoil in his mind. That he's cutting himself. I mean, you know, cutting has become quite popular nowadays. Right? Now, and, and if, if you've got problems with cutting, you know, 
after service, there's going to be pastors, there's going to be prayer people up here that'll, that'll talk to you and pray with you. There's help. But it's motivated by an evil spirit. That's where it comes from. It has a demonic root. And people think, I can play with the things of this world. It won't have an effect on me. It reminds me of a story I heard about an old man. He found a wounded snake on the road, a poisonous snake, and he brought it home. And he took care of it. And after several weeks, that snake bit him. And the man is laying there dying. He looks at that snake. And he says, why did you do this to me? And that snake just sneers at him. He said, you knew I was a snake when you brought me home. Look, you might think that the things that you're doing are not going to affect you. But let me tell you something. The day's going to come. They're going to bite you. They will bite you. They are not harmless, right? Don't give the devil safe harbor in your home, right? This man, he's violent. I mean, they can't tame him. They put him in shackles by supernatural power. He breaks those things apart. You just look at the teen gangs that we've got in our nation killing each other, the spousal beatings, human trafficking, pedophilia, uh, shooting rampages going on in our schools and in our theaters, bombings, murder, violence. Demons are real. The devil and Satan are real. I read just this week that more Americans believe in angels than are atheists. And I think that's good. You need to believe in angels. You need to believe in God. But you also need to believe that there is a devil, that there are demons, and there is a place called hell. And when people think about, you know, the demonic, they think about, you know, bewitched Samantha wiggling her nose. Let me tell you, that is not what this is about. All right? Now, when that man saw Jesus from afar off, every demon in him was saying, run. But he ran and he fell at Jesus' feet because this is what he knew. If I can get to Jesus, there is help for me. Now, the Bible says he had a legion of demons, at least 6,000 demons. Every one of them is pulling him the other way. But he knew if I can get to Jesus, there's help. And Jesus has got help for you. Flip Wilson said, the devil made me do it. Listen to me. The devil cannot make you do anything. 6,000 demons, that man could run to Jesus and fall down and worship him. All right? You do not need, listen, you do not need to submit to the devil. The Bible says in Titus, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And he teaches us to say no. I want everybody to shout no. no. See, that's what you tell the devil. No. In Jesus' name, No. And he can't make you. you. He cannot make you. You can be free. You know, the devil, he just, he's even nervous when he just gets around people full of the Spirit of God. You ever had this? I can't tell you how many times I had this. I walk into a store or a gas station, and I just walk in, and all of a sudden somebody goes, blankety, blankety, blank, blank, blank. And you say, what's that about? The devil gets nervous around people filled with the Holy Ghost. He just gets nervous. It terrifies him. And these demons, they're saying to Jesus, don't torment us. Don't torment us. So also, they begged him earnestly that he wouldn't send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out. They entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now, the demons, they leave this man and they go into a herd of swine and the swine, they run up a cliff and literally 
these deviled hams, this is the first time deviled hams are ever mentioned, you know that. These deviled hams, they, they go off the cliff right down into the sea and commit suicide. Listen, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. What's his goal? His goal is to kill. And as soon as he had a body without a will, immediately, suicide. That's the, that's what the, that's the devil's goal right there. That's his, his ultimate goal. Verse 14 says, so those who fed the swine, they went and they told it in the city and in the country. And then they went out to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it had happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine. And then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. So Jesus casts out these spirits, right? They go into the swine. The swine kill themselves. They commit suicide. And the man is made whole. He's sitting. Jesus is preaching. He's sitting and he's clothed. Listen, people wanting to run around without clothes, they're full of the devil. Just telling you, all right? He's in his right mind, right? Because the oppression is gone. But here's what's interesting. The Gadarenes, these Gadites, they come and they're mad, right? They're mad because their pigs are gone, right? They like their pigs. They want their pigs. Now, God gave us people to love and things to use. But what happens is many people get it mixed up and they're using people and loving things. And their things are more important than their relationship with God. Their things are more important than people. And whenever that happens, it is a sure sign that we are far from God. They said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What does it mean? Love God and love people. Use stuff, but love God, love people. And in any of our lives, when things become more important than our relationship with God and loving people, we are messed up. And these gatherings, they are far from God. And what's important to them is their pigs. Now, pigs can be bad things. They can represent like anger and unforgiveness and sleeping around and addiction and greed and lust and rebellion, but they can represent good things. They can represent a car or a house or a career or finances, but anything that becomes more important to us than our relationship with God and people, we've become just like these Gadarenes. And they didn't want the presence of God because the presence of God requires that we love God first and love people and don't use people. And so what happens to them is they say, Jesus, get out of here. Get out of here. But when we will surrender anything and everything to God, do like Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What happened to this man that he was changed? He was in his right mind, sitting at Jesus' feet. Jesus canceled the devil's assignment on that man. And he can cancel the devil's assignment on you, on your family, on your health, on your finances, your marriage. He can restore to you love, joy, peace, harmony, purpose, but it happens when we seek first the kingdom of God. 
when we love God and then we love people and we don't use people, we use things. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, there's a story I want to talk to you about. And I want to bring you here because this is where the power, the spiritual power in our life comes from. Right? So I want you to see what happens here. The, the prophet Elisha, he is old and he's dying. Right? And the king of Israel, Joash, comes to see him. He goes to the prophet's house and the prophet's, he's, he's in his bedroom, he's in his bed. And he's going to die right there. He's about to die and he knows it and the king is sad and he's crying. And, and Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hand. And he said, open the east window. And he opened it. And Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. For you must strike the Syrians at Apex until you've destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. Struck it three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry. With him, And he said, you should have struck it five or six times. Then he would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it. But now you'll strike them only three times. I want you to listen. Battles are not won on the battlefield. Battles are won in secret. Battles are won beforehand. I know fighting is very, very popular right now, cage fighting. You know, my, my, my sons and, and grandsons, they like to go watch that. They're trying to get me to go. All right. Uh, I haven't been yet. Don't know if I'm up for it. Right. But let me just tell you what. The battle is not really won in the cage. The battle is won weeks or months before in a training session. Right? It's one when you're training. It's, it's one when you're sacrificing. It might be, 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 be one as part of a diet, but it's one in the training. It just manifests itself that day when the actual fight takes place. But the real victory was won a long time before. Right? It was won in the practice. Now, in spirit, spiritually, this is how it works. It's what happens in your private life. In the bedchamber, what Jesus called the secret place. He said, go to the secret place and close the door. He said, that's where the life change, the transformation takes place. That's where the real victory takes place. Later, it's seen on the outside. But the victory takes place in the secret place. That's what changes your life. Now, you and I, our weapons are not a bow and arrow. Our weapons are prayer. Our weapons are confession of the word. Our weapons are praise and worship. But it is prayer in the private place and confession in the private place that brings the victory in the public place. Private life reflected in public success or failure. What happens in the secret place shows up in public and either brings success or it brings failure. The public is a manifestation of what takes place in the private. The two are always correlated. The battle is not won on the battlefield. The battle is won in the secret place. The battle is won in private when nobody's watching, when it's just you and God. That's where the battle's won. Now, you can fake it in public for a while, but you fake it, you won't make it. Right? Because what's really happening will eventually show up. So the prophet says to him, 
take your bow and arrow. He takes it. The prophet puts his hand on the king's hand, representing the anointing, right? And he says, shoot the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And the king shoots out the window. And then he says, take the arrows. Again, for us, those arrows, they represent prayer. They represent confession. They represent praise. And he says, strike the ground. And he only struck three times. And the prophet's mad. He says, you should have struck five or six times. Every time that he struck, it represented a victory. Right? And he told him, he says, you strike the ground. And again, the real victory is won in the secret place. It's in the bedroom of the prophet that this is taking place. All right? It's one when you confess the word. It's one when you pray. It's one when you praise. You know, he said, strike the ground. And again, it's your confession. So I want to ask you today, what are you confessing? What's coming out of your mouth? It's in Isaiah 55 that God said words this. So shall my word that goes forth out of my mouth. Now, how many of you know your words come out of your mouth? It's in the book of Revelation that it says that Jesus has a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth to strike his enemies. Right? A two-edged sword. Now, the one edge represents God speaking his word. But the other edge represents you speaking his word. It's when you are speaking what God says that the Bible becomes a two-edged sword in your mouth that can defeat your enemies. If God's the only one saying it, it's not coming out of your mouth and defeating your enemies. God said that my word that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. And I don't know if you've ever looked at your words this way, but this will help you. When you speak a word, you're sending that word. You send it. And God said, when I speak, I send that word. And whatever I speak, the word accomplishes what I speak. All right? Now, when you and I speak what God speaks, it does the same thing. You send that word and it accomplishes what you send it to do. Remember, in, back in Genesis, the Bible says that the world, the earth, it's void, it's dark. Literally, translations say it's chaotic, all right, catastrophic. And God looks and darkness is on the face of the earth. And what did God do? God didn't say, sure is dark out there. God said, let there be. He sent his word. And when he sent his word, what did it do? It accomplished what he sent it to do. He said, let there be light. And there was light. Psalms 107, it says he sent his word and it healed them. See, when you speak, you send that word. We need to speak in agreement with God. So what are you saying? Are you speaking victory or defeat? Are you speaking healing or sickness, provision or lack, life or death, blessing or cursing, freedom or bondage, restoration or deterioration? What are you saying? Are you speaking victory or are you speaking defeat? Is what's coming out of your mouth forgiveness or condemnation, a breakthrough or a failure, advance or retreat? You see, because we've got an idea. Most of us as Christians have an idea that we as the church, we are on the defense. All right. And so we're like we're like hiding. Right? We're like the devil is out there. 
And we got to be careful. Don't let him get you. You pray for me that I make it. Now, Now, Jesus said, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And in most of our minds, we're hiding behind the gates. And we're like, Jesus, hurry up. Save me and don't let the devil get me. Hurry, Jesus. We're holding out. Pray that I make it. Right? But that's not the picture Jesus paints. Right? Jesus says the gates of hell. So this is the picture Jesus paints. We've got the gates of hell, the walls of hell, and the devil and all the demons are hiding behind the gates. But they're not strong enough because Jesus said they will not prevail against the church. The church will knock them down. The church will plunder hell and populate heaven. That Jesus has a picture of a victorious church, a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. He's not coming back for a defeated church. He's coming back for a glorious church. But in our minds, we've got the the idea that we're on the defensive. How many of you basketball players know you cannot win on defense? You got to get the ball and be on offense to make a point. And the same thing is true spiritually. You can't win on defense, right? Now, now I understand why we have that mentality. I mean, I grew up in church. And and I remember a song that we used to sing in church. And and this is kind of like where we get some of our ideas. Now, some of the lyrics of the songs are great, but I want you to listen to this. See the mighty host. The, The name of this was Hold the Fort. Okay, hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus' sake, no still. All right. See the mighty host advancing, Satan leading on, mighty men around us falling, courage almost gone. (laughs) Now, is it any wonder we got a wrong picture? All right? Because that's not the picture that Jesus gave us of the church. He said that we're going to be a glorious church, a victorious church without spot or wrinkle. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He said that he would always lead us in triumph in Christ, that he would soon crush Satan underneath your feet, right? It's victory, and we need to see it that way. We we don't need to see ourselves as the sick trying to get healed. You are the healed the devil's trying to attack, right? See yourself not as on the defensive, but see yourself on the offensive. You're there on the attack. Now, this, I'm, I'm a cl- this is my first closing, all right? I get, t- I get two today. All right. Now, Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. 1980, Jeannie and I are living in Mexico. We've been living in an Indian village with the Otomi Indians for a couple years. And we get an invitation to go to Guadalajara and teach in a Bible college. And so we moved 360 miles to Guadalajara, Mexico. About 3 million people at the time. And we rent a house, sign a one-year contract, and I begin to teach in this Bible college. And at the end of the second week of classes, I get a note that I'm supposed to come and see the director in his office. And so after my classes, I show up, go down to the, where the director's office is. I knock on the door. One of the staff members open the door, and they bring me in, all right? Now, the picture, picture of this room, it's a pretty good-sized room. It's probably 20 by 30, all right? And then the, the director is behind his desk, a big chair, right? And there is an empty chair right in front of his desk. 
right? And then there's like 15 staff members in a, in a, in a semicircle around the chair. And they put me in the chair. And when they did, I knew I was in trouble, but I did not have a clue what was wrong. And he said to me, he said, uh, we have received reports from the students about your classes. And I said, I I assume they're good. And he said, no. He said, they're not good. He said, "You've you've been talking about healing. And I said, well, just from Exodus, you know, where God says, I'm the Lord that heals you. And Psalms 103, verse 2, he forgives all our iniquities, heals all our diseases. He said, we don't believe that. I said, but look, it's right here in the Bible. He said, I don't care what the Bible says. He said, we don't believe that. He said, I know the Bible says that. He says, but we know that God wants people sick. And he says, and you cannot talk about healing. And I'm like, oh, my. And I said, well, what if I get to ask a question? He said, do not answer. You know, it was just not a good meeting. So I went home. And I said to Jeannie, I said, Jeannie, we are in, we are in, we're in deep, deep, deep weeds. I said, we, we just signed a one-year contract, all right? We're, we're, we live in this house. And, and I almost got fired today, and I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, because I'm not going to say something that's not in the Bible. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed and, and felt like God gave us a strategy. You know, the director lived about a half a mile from us. And so I felt like God impressed in my heart to just stop over to his house a couple times a week during breakfast time and sit down with him and have a cup of coffee. You talk. I say coffee, but, you know, this is Mexico, so it's cafe con leche, right? Now, many of you never had cafe. This was before lattes, all right? But this is one-third strongest coffee you have ever had in your life. One-third warm milk and one-third sugar. And this will light your lights. I mean, you're just like, whoa. Okay. So, so for a couple times a week, I'm going over, you know, and I'm talking with him. And I'm doing this for like six weeks. And Thursday morning, I remember, I went to his house. Stop. We begin to talk. And we begin to get to this verse right here. Matthew 16, where Jesus said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And he says, there it is, the cross, the cross, sickness, disease, bad marriage, mother-in-law, depression, addiction, you know, the cross. And, and I said to him, I said, no, look at that verse. I said, the only people that have crosses are Christians. You don't get a cross till you become a Christian. And non-Christians have sickness and depression addictions, and mother-in-laws. So, so that cannot be the cross. I said, the cross is to do the will of God in your life. I said, but the cross is not sickness. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in, in a situation like this, but I had never in my life before that felt the tangible presence of the Holy Spirit so strong. And he just starts to cry. And I'm talking, and he's got a pencil and paper, and he's taking notes. And I'm thinking, why are you even trying? Because your paper's all wet, and you're not going to be able to read anything anyhow. All right? But we, would ha- we had, on Thursday night at that Bible college, there was, an, oh, there was a, a public service every Thursday night. And that Thursday night, the director takes those cried-on notes from our breakfast conversation, and he teaches from Matthew 
chapter 16, verse 24, about the cross. That the cross is not sickness, it's not disease, it's doing the will of God for your life. That's why the Bible says to pick up his cross or your cross. Everybody's cross is different. The cross is to do God's will in your life. And what God has you do is different than what he has me do. But it's picking up God's will for your life. That's the cross. Well, as he's doing this, there's a lady in the back. She's in a wheelchair. She's been in a wheelchair for four years. And several doctors have told her, you're never going to walk again. And for years, she had believed that was her cross. And as she's sitting there, she, just, she, just, she realizes this is not my cross. And God said, he'll heal all my diseases and forgive all my iniquities. So I just believe this is God's will. God's will is for me to heal, be healed. And she just says, I just think I'll just stand up. Now, the doctor says, she's never going to stand up again. She stood up. And then she got behind her wheelchair and started pushing it around in the back. Then she pushed it down the aisle. She put the director in the wheelchair and pushed him around. And I did not lose my job. <laughs> now, I tell you that to tell you this. A lot of people think anything bad that happens in their life, this is my cross. But the Bible says, 1 John 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. If you think God sent you something, you'll never resist it. And if you don't resist that thing, you're never going to get the victory that God wants you to have. The cross for your life is not sickness or disease or depression or an addiction or a bad marriage. The cross is for you to do the will of God in your life. Find that dream, that destiny that God has for you and fulfill that destiny. Jesus said, every Christian, if you want to be his disciple, pick up your cross, God's will for your life, and follow him. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment. <clears throat> Jesus' call to every one of us is to receive the Lord as, as our owner. Receive Jesus as the owner, the Lord of our life, and to live for him. The Bible calls it repent and believe. Right? And if you're here today, I want to challenge you if you're away from God. And I want to challenge you today to pick up your cross. The first part of that cross for every person is to come to Jesus and to receive him as your Lord, your Savior, to give him your life. So that when you walk out of this place, you don't own your life anymore. He owns your life. The Bible says in John 1, verse 12, to as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. It is not enough for you to know about him. You need to receive him as your Lord and your Savior. Do you want to let the enemy steal, kill, and destroy in your life one more day. Don't do it. I want to ask you, would you rather live your life, the abundant life that Jesus has for you, or do you want to live your life without him? Now, if you're here and you're away from God, or you know you're not right with God today, and you say, Pastor, I want to get right with God. I'm going to count to three in a moment. I'm going to ask you to lift your hand, and please lift your hand. We're going to pray. God is going to meet you right here in this place. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. Now, as you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is, God, I know I'm a sinner, need a Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus today to be saved 
and to be forgiven. One. Secondly, as you lift your hand, you're saying to God, today, I'm turning my back on my old life. I'm not going to let the devil steal, kill, and destroy in my life one more day. I'm coming to Jesus to receive the abundant life that he has for me. Two. Now get ready. Some of, this is the most important decision some of you are ever going to make in your life. Get ready to lift that hand. If you lift your hand, you're saying today, Jesus is going to come into my heart. I'm going to receive him. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to make me a new person on the inside, a part of the family of God, living the abundant life he has for me on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up. Lift it high. Say, pray with me. Thank you. I see that hand. I see that hand and that hand and that hand. Are there others? Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Others up in the balcony, include me, Pastor. I am not where I should be. I want to get right. All right. Now, here's what we're going to do. Everybody, I want you to stand up. But if you lifted your hand, I want you to look right at me. All right. I want you to grab the person you came with, whatever you brought, and move to the aisle nearest you. Make your way right down here. God is going to meet us right here. We're going to pray in just a moment. When we say amen, your past, it is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be on your way to heaven. This is your day. Come on down. Right in here in this section, please make your way down. We're going to pray. God's going to meet you. Jesus said that when you confess him before men, he will confess you before his Father who is in heaven. And literally, this is the most important decision anybody ever makes. And we are so excited for you. Awesome. Awesome. And God bless you. Anybody? Anybody from the balcony? Okay. All right. Come on, get in close. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. This is what it says. It says, whosoever. That means you, 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 and you. Sometimes the devil will tell you it won't work for you. You've been bad. Well, that's, that's why we need this. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why he came. All right? So this will work for whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. And we're going to call on his name the way the Bible tells us to. Right? And this is God's promise. We'll be saved. So when we say amen, your past is going to be gone. You're going to be right with God. Right? You're going to be on your way to heaven. All the way from the balcony. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Everybody, take one hand, put it right over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven, and let's pray. I want you to make these words your own. Say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again, and I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, you now own me. I'm yours. I thank you for blood washing me from my sin. That my past is gone. That I am your child. Now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.